The Athletic. Football League show, Rovers rampant, Forest firing, Derby defying, Plymouth take the long road and Gimme 5 all in League 2. Today featuring an actual championship defender, this is the Totally Football League show in association with Paddy Power. Right, we've double and triple checked the draw for today's pod and I can confirm that all the balls came out in the right order. It's me, Matt Davis-Adams, alongside a home draw for Sam Parkin. Uh, good afternoon, Matthew. Also at home, Michelle Owen. Hey, Matt. Uh, and it's another home tie, plus a pod debut for Derby defender Curtis Davis. Hi, Curtis. Uh, how are you? All right, thanks. Right, Curtis, I'm going to put my cards on the table early doors. I'm a Forest fan. <laughs> um, b- yep. Before you hang up and shut your laptop screen, let me mitigate that by saying that my stepdad, Mike, is a Derby fan. And when I told him that you were on the show, he sent me this text. Curtis is the fans' captain and hero. Please give him my thanks for his efforts for the club. It is seriously appreciated. Um, does that sugar the pill of having to spend the next 45 minutes or so in the company of a gloating red dog? Um, yeah, it's not going to be fun, to be honest, especially after your result the weekend. Um, <laughs> but I'll, I'll just have to put up with you and just forget I ever, I ever spoke to you after the podcast is finished. <laughs> ah, very similar sentence came out of my wife's mouth this morning, but um, we'll move on quickly. <laughs> um, we'll debrief the Blackpool game later, but but as it's the hot topic, COVID and Derby, you've got a couple of days off. We, we know there were there were cases in the squad before the weekend that, that caused some some shuffling on Saturday to the team, but you've got to be out the training ground for a few days. Yeah, it's just a, it's just a protocol, you know, when you have a, a few cases rather than just one isolated case. I think it's important that um, the doctor takes it obviously very seriously and and has has ordered that we unfortunately have to miss training but you know it's the safest thing if the training ground could be deep cleaned um then we go back to knowing it's a a safe environment in terms in terms of everything that's there and then um yeah we we we'll go back in um on thursday and then we'll we'll obviously get ready to go again but i think it's um you know with everything that's going on at the moment and new announcements and everything all the rules are changing all the time um i think it's just a a, a really important and safe step to make sure we're keeping ourselves safe and our, and our families as well. Did you feel all right about playing on Saturday and being around the club? I'm thinking of Antonio Conte's comments last week about, about his concerns. You must share some of those. Yeah, of, of course there are, there are concerns. Um, with, you know, it's been concerns for the last nearly two years. Um, Every time you know we get a, a new variant or there's a, a a new case, be it in football, then you know you're waiting for that knock-on effect of the team that you played against or who's going to get it from there, and and that's always the worry. But with our squad, it was it was really strange that you know it just came from nowhere. One got it, and then you know it ended up being a few went down in terms of staff and players. Um, but yeah, for myself, I I lateral flow at home every day to in order to protect my family, protect um, everyone that I'm around. Um, so I think that's the safest thing you can do. You know, you, you can't unfortunately control this virus. If not, it would have been easy and everything would have been rosy now. Um, it's just doing all you can to keep yourself safe and, and keep your family safe. And um, I think, you know, in, in the football world and, and in the world in general, I think, you know, maybe things have gotten a little bit lax. So... I think it's important to to make sure we're all doing the right things to to protect ourselves. Curtis, um, I had the virus quite recently, and I I'm feeling a little bit lethargic during my uh, 
Well, my, my runs have got even slower, basically, around my block um, the last <laughs> few weeks. I'm feeling a bit lethargic still. Something I've been thinking about a lot, how are the sports scientists, the physios, managing the players who come back into the club post-COVID or, or if players have had to isolate? Because it's not just turning the switch on and off, is it? You know, putting them straight back in the team when they can come back to the training ground. Because some players have, I'm sure, been affected hugely more than others. Yeah, it's... That that side of it, it all remains to be seen. You know, when everyone actually gets eventually back into the training ground, you're going to see their fitness level. You know, we've you've got some people that are naturally fitter than others, but sometimes that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be able to step into a game because if if you talk about a player that's used to running, I don't know, 12, 13K a game, and yeah, they are fit, but if they're underperforming for what their role usually is, they're not giving their same output. So... It's kind of, you need to see where they're at once they get on the training field. Um, but I think in our minds, you know, we need to look past the next game and and then um, hope that, you know, some are ready for the game after that. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a really strange one. You can you can do all the, the runs or the walks around your garden or whatever you want to do. Um, it doesn't replicate playing football and training on the training pitch. Uh, so so for, for all the fitness you can do, you know, you can... I've, I've got a Watt bike. So, you know, during lockdown, I was on the Watt bike all the time. When I actually went for a run and, and started twisting and turning in football things, it was it was like, it was foreign to me, you know. So for, for how good I was on the Watt bike and on Zwift, um, when it actually came to proper football, um, I felt like I'd, I'd never kicked a ball for, uh, in ages, So which, which it was. And um, it's totally different fitness. So hopefully over the 10 days, they haven't lost too much and they don't get those, those feelings of, of lethargy like you had. Um, but yeah, it's just important that we look after them first and foremost, their health, and then worry about them getting back into the team. Curtis, I just wondered how closely you think football as a whole has been following testing and things like that. I mean, there was a time where clubs had to test twice weekly. Is that still what everyone's doing? Or like you said, has it become a bit lax now? And do you think we're going to see more of that again? Because we're starting to see, unfortunately, games called off. Hopefully they're they're isolated, but it does make you think. Yeah, I think it... You know, I think for the EFL clubs, you know, I understand Premier League test obviously weekly. For the EFL clubs, it was um, it was difficult to sustain financially with obviously with COVID and everything that went on. A lot of clubs lost money, therefore it was hard to sustain. Um, but at the same time, I think I think different clubs are doing different things. Um, so there's no kind of blanket rule. It doesn't seem. You know, I I, I believe some clubs test. Some clubs don't. Um, at, at Derby, we we have a an app that we fill in every single morning, um, and if you were to have any symptoms, um, you stay you stay away. You stay away and and you get yourself a, a test, and then you know once that test is negative, you, you'll be allowed back in the building. But that's that's the way we operate. But you know if if different people are taking different strides, it it's hard. You know because we talk about games getting called off, things like that. If a game gets called off and the teams try to do everything they can to to be safe, then it's it's very harsh. But when it's teams maybe, and this is controversial, but you know sometimes the idea is if you don't test, you haven't got it. And the worry sometimes is if you were to test and three or four or five of your players go down, then you're going to have to play without them sometimes. So it, it is a, a mindset that, you know, Ultimately, like I say, myself, I, I test because I want to protect my family and, and the football side, I guess, takes a, a, a backseat. But um, you never know what goes through owners and, and um, club staff because, you know, if you were to have to call off a game and you miss out on revenues of a, 
of of a stadium and stuff like that, it's 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 obviously very difficult. Well, this is not going to go away. We're going to be talking about it for the next few weeks and months. Sheffield United versus QPR set for Monday night, postponed after a COVID outbreak in the Rangers camp. Right, after this, we'll talk about some actual football. It's the Paddy Power Football Supporters Support Line. We're talking to Burnley fan Graham. What's up, Graham? Well, it's Christmas, Paddy. Uh, not a Grinch, are you, Graham? Oh, I love all the midweek fixtures, the quick turnaround between games. So why so glum? Well, it's the work Christmas party, the five-a-side drinks, schoolmates, dinner. Makes it very hard to watch all the football. The Premier League is non-stop this December, so make the most of it with Paddy Power's Bet Builder offer. Get money back as a free bet if one leg of your Bet Builder lets you down. Paddy Power! Pretty much online Bet Builder bets only min odds one to five per leg, min four plus legs, max free bet ten pounds per day, excludes enhanced match odds, season season supply, 18 plus, you're listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Here are the championship headlines. The top two are having a wobble, but Fulham still managed to extend their lead to two points over Bournemouth. Blackburn, the team to watch as they notch a fourth straight win. Forrest are going up after scoring four. Uh, Ryan Lowe wins his first game. There's a big win for Posh and Derby are up to four points after they beat Blackpool. Uh, we're going to start there with the big game on the South Coast where second place Bournemouth took on form horse Blackburn. It was the visitors who made off with the points after a 2-0 victory. Uh, Michelle, I feel like Scott Parker's grey puffer slash dinner jacket was a, a visual representation of what would be a bad day for the Cherries. Yeah, I was surprised when I saw it that maybe shouldn't have been too surprised. Blackburn now unbeaten in six and they haven't lost since that 7-0 defeat to Fulham. And I think I said a few weeks ago on this podcast, when we did that game on Sky, I was like, yeah, I can't can't see Blackburn being in and around the playoffs. And now look at them, you know, it's it's crazy. And now Bournemouth, uh, they're still second, but they're five games without a win. I just think they've missed Lloyd Kelly so, so much. And obviously it was a positive that he came on off, off the bench at the weekend, but... That partnership of him and Cahill is just so key and that's been evident while he's been away. So he's been a huge miss. I thought the one all against Fulham on that Friday night might boost them. I thought Steve Cook did really well that game, but didn't really feel like any of that had followed through the following weekend. Yeah, credit to Blackburn, you know. I feel like I'm being a bit negative here, but I've got to get credit to Blackburn and Tony Mowbray how they've turned it around from that 7-0 defeat. It's absolutely astonishing. And now a gap that seemed some were saying insurmountable from second to third, suddenly doesn't look so big, does it? No, it doesn't. Um, Curtis, you played both both teams recently and, and Bournemouth's slump really started with that defeat at Pride Park, didn't it? What what, what have you made of, of both Blackburn and Bournemouth over the last month or so? Um, so Bournemouth are a team that I still believe will go up. Um, they're, they're having a blip because, you know, all season they've been fantastic and they're having this blip at the moment. You know, I think the writing was on the wall with our game, bottom versus top, the team that's just had another nine points taken off of them and it was on live on Sky. Everything like that was was against them. But the big thing is when you play against the Bournemouth side is they have the healthy arrogance that we're going to do what we do and we're going to go and take the game to you no matter what, no matter who you are, no matter what. So with us, the way they played is we went 1-0 up, they went 2-1 up. But they, they were going for the third goal. They were going to go for the fourth goal if they got a third goal. And that's the way they play. So eventually for us, it, it meant that they left spaces open for us and we were able to exploit them and we end up winning the game. But, you know, when when you play against sides like Blackburn, who have been in great form and you have that that style as well, obviously Blackburn were able to, to take full advantage and, and go and win the game down at their place as well. But I think Blackburn as a side 
having played them obviously over the last few years, this is the best Blackburn I've seen, definitely, of course. Um, they, in the first half against us particularly, they absolutely dominated us, run all over us. Brereton Diaz, I described him as um, the young Salas, basically, at the moment, because since he's changed his name to Diaz, he's been playing unbelievably. He scored more goals since he's been Diaz than he scored in the last three or four years, I think. So he's been fantastic. But yeah, but Tony has just been getting them going somehow. You know, I, I remember last season I did a game um, for Sky and, and they lost to Preston and and I think he was on the verge of walking. And to think that, you know, this season now started, the, the, the start that they've got off was two and, and the way that they're playing, um, you wouldn't bet against them being in, in and around those, those top spots, let alone the playoffs. Lovely to get a Marcello Salas mention on the Totally Football League show. Big fan of that. Um, Sam, Tony Mowbray said he's not getting carried away, which knowing his personality is not a huge shock. Um, if, if you're him, are you going to Venkies and saying, hey, put that chicken wing down, put your hand in your pocket, give me some money. If we sign a couple of players, we could go up. Yeah, of course. Um, hell of an opportunity. I think Michelle touched on it there. I think people that follow the championship and... Uh, do punditry on it whatever I think we've been a bit quick to say that Fulham and Bournemouth are going to run away, away with this league and I was probably guilty of it a few weeks ago uh, I'm not saying Blackburn are going to reach the, the top two but West Brom they put a run together we've seen um, Fulham and Bournemouth wobbling in the last few weeks so I think that's the first thing but I think Blackburn have got a great opportunity to play us because there's a cluster of clubs below the, the top three if you like who have all got a, a great chance of sneaking in the playoffs this season. So, yeah, the, the other side of it is Blackburn have to keep hold of Brereton Diaz um, and they need to keep hold of some of those midfield players that I've spoken about on this this podcast previously. I think Buckley's become a really important player for them and maybe not as vast as some of the changes at other clubs. I don't know if Curtis would agree with me, but I think Blackburn were a bit more of a possession side previously and it seems to be a bit more about the counter-attacking element this year. And I think led by, obviously, Brereton Diaz, who Curtis would have come up one-on-one against. And Kadra, another diminutive little player with pace. Buckley kind of played as a false nine at the weekend. And I think they're quite content playing against sides like Bournemouth, who will have the lion's share of the ball and, and playing on the on the break. And that seems to suit them better than, you know, last season when Tony Mowbray was coming under fire. So Blackburn fourth in the table now and they are four points off second place Bournemouth after winning five of their last six games. All right, long-time listeners will know that I'm not prone to hyperbole, but it's just possible that Nottingham Forest are the greatest side in English football right now and will never lose a game. Uh, This after Steve Cooper came out on top in the Steve Cooper derby in South Wales as the two-time European champions won 4-1 at Swansea. A couple of minutes left now for Forest. Oh, but what a run this is from Taylor. He's got Cafu in the middle. There's Cafu, 4-1. Uh, a weird sort of game, this one, Michelle, because it was 0-0 at half-time. Forrest didn't have a shot on target. Joel Pirot missed an open goal when it was goalless. Could have been very different, but then the world's greatest football team just ran away with it. In your words, yeah. <laughs> one <laughs> defeat in 15. Is, that's right, isn't it, Matt? I mean, you're the man that will know. So, one defeat in yeah. 15 for Forrest. I mean... Wow, what a turnaround for Steve Cooper. I, I think when managers come into these games and say they're treating them just the same, that you know, they don't mean that. They're only human. To come up against Swansea where didn't know what sort of reception he was going to get. Sometimes it's better the devil you know. And I wonder what Swansea fans are thinking today. Because to have 75% possession 
and lose 4-1. And you look at it on paper, you're like, what? I mean, obviously, you get a bit of context there. They missed an open goal, should have been ahead. But, yeah, it's incredible. And it, it sort of showed the extremes in style. I don't think Steve Cooper is that extreme, that end, to have 25% possession. I don't think that's a fair reflection on how he manages football. But it is a fair reflection on how Russell Martin does, as far as we know so far, you know. And he's not going to change. And he said that. And he's going to have defeats like this for Swansea. It's going to happen. But you look, you look at it on paper... It's it's just crazy, you know. And Forest actually had nine shots; they scored four of them. Swansea had twelve shots and only four on target. So it's just finding that substance at the end of all this passing football, which sometimes is brilliant, but on days like this, clearly doesn't work. And is Russell Martin going to be prepared to change the way he plays? We've seen it in a couple of games this season to an extent, but maybe he's going to have to give a little bit more now. He's in the championship more than he has done so far, I think. Sam Forrest scored some lovely goals in this game, didn't they? Zinka Nagel's opener and, and that second Spence, Brennan Johnson and, and Graben combination was particularly pleasing on the eye. Yeah, it reminded me a little bit of the, I think it was the first goal of the season, Lyle Taylor away at, at Coventry, Brennan Johnson down the, the right-hand side. And when he gets played in behind the fullback, there's there's no catching him. And yeah, he's got that, that quality to deliver as well. So, you know, I thought Michelle summed it up well there. I mean, the... The, the one statistic that I noted down was Jamie Patterson had 66 touches for, for Swansea. The Forest front three collectively had 52 touches, which I think I could tell you Matt Grimes had 150 or something like that. Um, but I thought the comparison between the front players was more relevant. It just shows you that, yeah, it's it's great to manage the ball, but you've got to, you've got to have that cutting edge in the final third. And Swansea clearly didn't have that at the weekend and Forest did in abundance. The... It's an amazing run they're on. I think it's since he took charge, it's the most points in the division. If you if you have the three points from Stephen Reid's um, solitary win at Huddersfield, they've got more points than Fulham in that time. So an incredible run. I think the challenge will come when teams maybe come and be a bit more defensively minded and structured at the at the city ground. Can they play? Can they they break like a deep block? You know, can they play through teams rather than being just a counter attacking side, which I think Forest are right now and very good at that. Uh, in itself but can they win the tight games at home when teams are coming to the city ground trying to snatch a point uh, Curtis Sam mentions Brennan Johnson there you played against him we saw the good and bad from him in this game what he can do with the football is brilliant what he does to try and win free kicks is sometimes questionable how, how did you find coming up against him um, he's a he's a very good player first and foremost I think you know you talk about what people do to get three free kicks modern day football is if you don't go down and you try and be strong, um, shall I say, you end up not getting the free kick. So, you know, you look at someone like a Jack Grealish that notoriously draws someone in, sucks in the foul and then gets the foul, wins the fouls for his team. As much as I'm a defender and I should be anti it, I think um, it's part of the game now and you have to be ready for it. And, you know, as a player, you, you have to make sure you're not the naive one that if you know a player wants to go down, You've got to try and stay on your feet and make sure you don't give him that opportunity. But I think, first and foremost, he's a, he's a very good young player. Um, obviously, following his father's footsteps and and wearing uh, that red shirt. I won't say the name. Uh, <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, he's um, he's obviously he's, he's stepped up this year after after his loan spell last year away and, and his playoff experience from last year with Lincoln. He's obviously uh, now stepped up to the Forest team and, and he's taken to it like a duck to water. And I think the big thing is that when the management changed, He's been able to thrive a little bit more in, in obviously his attacking play, but the first and foremost, the new manager really likes him and wants him in his team. 
Uh, yeah, if you ever need a way to, to differentiate the, the red shirt that Forest wear uh, between the red shirt that, that other teams wear, it's got two stars above the, the club oh, okay. crest yeah. to, to denote the, the, the twice that they won the European Cup. Uh, anyway, let's move to Derby beating Blackpool. Curtis, you were at this match, by which I mean you gave a commanding performance at, at centre-half. It's amazing what you've been doing in recent weeks since the points deduction. I mean, it really speaks to the character of the squad. Tell, tell us about this game and, and how you won it. Because as we mentioned, you had to change the team and the formation on Saturday morning. That's, that's massive credit to the players and the, and the coaching staff that you could do that and still win. Yeah, it's, um, it was bizarre. Um, obviously, we, we came in on the Thursday and we had one way that we were going to do it. And then obviously we had a couple of cases and things like that. So Friday we we ended up coming out with a different way. And then, you know, it was down to who was available on Saturday and who had tested positive or not. And it was just all up in the air at, at a certain point. But um, I think, yeah, we can we can take a bit of credit from the way that we played in terms of uh, winning the game, sorry, in terms of the situation. But it definitely wasn't a classic for, um, for two teams that, will say they they want to play football and and want to play football in a in a certain way um it was very scrappy it was very much about second balls and and getting on the end of um you know maybe sloppy passes from the other team and it was just one of those games where we got the 1-0 and we were kind of happy to see it out in the end um we we weren't very good and and I don't think to be honest Blackpool probably had a couple of openings where a little bit better quality might have got them in, but they, they were unable to do that. Um, but it's a, it's a, as you said about character, it's a, a character building win that, that gives us more points on the board. Obviously we're on for the, the massive four points that we're on, but it takes us one step closer to, to Barnsley who are our, our first targets. So that's what we've got to keep doing. We've got to keep playing uh, as we know we can play, um, getting wins on the board and, and start knocking off one team at a time. And, you know, come the end of the season, hopefully it's enough, but ultimately it won't be for the want of trying. Curtis, I always think back to my time at Luton when we had the points deductions and th- yeah. remembering Mick Harford just going for games very early, sometimes starting with four forwards. Have you noticed, I know you're limited a little bit at the moment because of the COVID situation, injuries, etc. but have you noticed Wayne Rooney going for games a little bit earlier or talking about having to set you up a bit more offensively from the off? Or is it is it too early maybe in the season for that? Yeah, well, the manager said, you know, because if it, when it were the 12 points, we were quite happy in terms of we're going to, you know, if we pick up a draw here, a win there, it, it's not too bad because you start knocking points off as you go along. Um, but once the extra nine came along, the manager said, listen, there's going to be times late on in a game we're not necessarily going to go from from minute one, but late on in a game, we, we might have to put on subs to try and win the game because ultimately you're better winning one, losing one than drawing two. Um, which So even against, um, we played Fulham and that was obviously after the Bournemouth win and we were, it was nil-nil and he threw on Ravel Morrison for uh, Craig Forsyth, our left back. So we have got that contingency plan to, you know, throw on an attacking player to try and go and win it. But the unfortunate thing for us is we're hamstrung by our squad in general, regardless of the COVID. We, I don't think we've got four senior forwards on the books. So, so um, there's no uh, there's no way of obviously, you know, we've got Sam, Sam Baldock, Colin Kazim Richards as our senior strikers. Unfortunately, Sam's got a knock, but he's on his way back. You know, we've got young Luke Plange, who's obviously scored the weekend, who's looking good. We've got um, Jack Stretton, who's had a knock. So you could throw a few bodies at it, but I don't think we have that way of playing. So I think it's more 
you know, we'll we'll take a few risks with maybe, I know, keeping people higher up the pitch. But I don't think we go as gung-ho as Mick because I, I know what Mick can be like and he likes his attacking football, but I don't think we'll quite do that. But, you know, if it gets to the last 10 games of the season and we're we're just about there, I think you'll see a different manager that will, yeah, will chuck everything at it. Curtis, six of your, your seven subs or 20 or under, which is, is phenomenal, yeah. I'm afraid to say you and Jackie Elka bringing the average age up still. <laughs> but it's incredible to see these young players stepping up. I know we've, we've talked about it on the sofa at Sky. How are, they, how are they finding the challenge now? Because you said it's almost an opportunity they knew they might not have had in, in normal circumstances. You know, Luke Plange getting his goal. What, what's the sort of mood been like? Difficult to gauge, obviously, because you're off this week. But it seems like when I've, I've done a few of your games now for Sky, it, it seems, despite your situation, relatively positive. Yeah, I think the young lads, what I can say is it, it's credit to them because it's not an easy situation. I think at the start of the season, due to the um, embargo we were placed in, it was difficult. We, we were in a situation where we weren't able to necessarily put a young lad into the team because we were only given a squad amount of whatever number it was. So if we were to play a young lad from the youth team, they would then count as a first team player. Whereas we were hoping to sign a few more people on free contracts. So that was difficult. So even, you know, uh, Liam Thompson, who's obviously came on and, and done brilliantly in the games that he started. Erin Cashin, who comes on on the weekend, he was one of the ones that was kind of held back from the first team because of this rule. Um, Luke Plange himself, he had to, because when we signed him, the club was in under this investigation and the embargo, it meant that he had to go to the EFL with his agent and whatever to, to get it uplifted because it was holding back his career. And ultimately, that's what we want for young English players. We want them to get into first teams and start making careers. So fortunately for him, he had that uplifted. He came on against Bristol City last week, was fantastic. And obviously this week, his first start goes and, and scores the winner. So it just shows that these young lads aren't taking it for granted. They're definitely trying to grab it with both hands. But ultimately, you know, that's just the way it is. If we were to to get a load of money, say, from a new owner and stuff like that, we still know we've got a, a good set of young lads that are that are ready and ready and willing to to be in that first team and and have earned the shirt rather than just giving it because they're the last one standing. Yeah, lots of quality in the Derby Academy, but as Michelle mentions, uh, still the old timers in in yourself and Phil Phil Jagielka <laughs> back there. Um, the Athletics Derby writer Elias wondered about playing at three at the back at the weekend. Uh, Wayne Rooney said that, that it's tough on, on people like you and Jagielka. Do, do you feel that, that difference? Is it, do you expend a bit more energy when there's, when there's three at the back than you would otherwise? I, I prefer two. I know it sounds silly. The manager will seem like it's protecting you in terms of, um, you know, you're having to run less because there's three of you. But I just find that because we're a team that would want to then push those wing backs on, I just found that we... Particularly the weekend, we, we we allowed a lot of space for maybe a number 10 to, to get in the pocket. And me as a central one, if you've got a striker up against you and then you've got a number 10 in the pocket, it's very difficult on which one, whether to stick or twist with which one. So um, I find the two a lot a lot more comfortable for myself. I, um, be it, I play on the left of the two, Jags plays on the right. Um, and, you know, we've 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 built this good relationship. Um, but I think, you know, if, if it were to go along the season and, and we worked on a... On a certain formula of playing with a three, it might become a bit easier because obviously the weekend was thrown together and that was the best um, team for the personnel. 
but I think if we moved forward and, and had a free, I'm sure it would uh, it'd be nice because ultimately being being 36, Jack being 39, I, I managed to draw the, he drew the short straw and went on the right. I went in the centre. So I was able to sit there and, and have, <laughs> with my pipe and slippers and be the one to, to have the rest as such. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things. I think it's more how you use the free because if you if you use the free like Sheffield United, it's definitely not 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 going to be a rest. But if you use it in a in a deep defensive way that us three can almost do the defending, and let everyone else go forward, then it, it can be an effective tool. Now use the act. We'll be done with the championship in a bit, but I want to talk about Preston against Barnsley. Uh, Preston have a new low, but Barnsley hit a new low as their winless run stretched to six after their 2-1 loss at Deepdale. Uh, Michelle, if Ryan Lowe was going to get to hand-pick an opponent for his first game in charge, it would probably have been Barnsley at home. Yeah, because when I hear Curtis say that Barnsley are Derby's target, I think that's a realistic target right now, you know? Yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on at Barnsley, but Ryan Lowe... Obviously, Plymouth Argyle fans not very happy last week that he left, but you can you can sort of get it, can't you? You know, he's he's nearer home. He never set up his home in Plymouth from a personal point of view. Massive opportunity, and you know, there isn't much loyalty in football. So you get presented with a championship opportunity. Who knows if Argyle are going to go up this season or not? You know, it's a big ask. And he's taken the opportunity. I think he made five changes to the side that were beaten at Blackburn. Uh, he went 3-5-2. Um, he employed Ben Whiteman playing a deeper role in front of the back three. And from what I've read in the local papers, um, they were quite happy. He said it was an exciting brand of football, one of them. And that's how he likes to play. So, look, you couldn't ask for really a more favourable tie as your first game in charge. But I'm really interested to see to see what he does. He's he's left his old assistant, Stephen Schumacher at Plymouth. Pff, going to be interesting to see how that plays out because I understand that he did quite a lot on the training pitch already at Argyle. So, yeah, be interesting to see how he is sort of without his right-hand man. I'm, I'm intrigued to see how it plays out. Yeah, see how Plymouth get on and if it's not particularly well, he might be back alongside him before too long, I guess. Uh, Daniel Johnson got the winner in this game. Curtis, he's somebody you know well. Yeah, he, he came through at, at Villa as a, as a young kid, and he's he stepped up and and become a really fantastic player. Um, I thought I thought in the summer um, he might have been one to go. Um, himself and Alan Brown, I think, were coming towards the end of their deals, and I think there was a, a, a strong rumours that both of them would be moving on to to get a fee before they went on on free free uh, transfers. But both of them have, have signed, and both of them have obviously scored this weekend as well. So. Um, they're, they're both great players. DJ, just the way he controls the midfield, he's, he's strong, he's he's calm, he, he just keeps the ball ticking over. And I think in the way that Ryan Lowe had his team playing at Plymouth, I think he's the perfect player to be in there because, he, like I say, he's, he's a player that wants the ball. Um, he's willing to take the ball with men against him because he's reasonably strong um, and he'll keep the ball moving. And then, you know, he still can pop up with a goal, be it from a penalty, from a strike from the edge of the box, whatever. He's uh, he's an important player for that team. And, and that's why Preston did all they could to, to keep him. Sam, you were at Kenilworth Road on Saturday for, for Luton against Fulham. Abby insists that before we talk about the match, I ask you about the brass band at halftime and, and whether <laughs> they were any good or whether they were affected by the conditions, possibly. Not ideal for a tuber, is it? Uh, no, they're affected by the the fella on the, uh, the PA system doing a draw or something. So they were they were drowned <laughs> out, and uh, 
they were just about to come to my colleague for his half time and I was I was wetting myself because they were about 10 <laughs> yards from us. I thought it's going to be horrendous, this report, but he got away with it a little bit, thankfully. So I couldn't really hear it, but uh, they were doing Christmas carol, Christmas songs, Christmas carols. Of course they were. Uh, to the game, another draw for Fulham. Uh, should they be concerned about this? Were, were Luton worth more than the point? Should either side have had their penalty appeals given? Ooh, uh, it was the right result. Um, I wouldn't be overly concerned if I was a Fulham fan right now. I was surprised. Curtis will know. I know Luton against one of the bigger fishes in any division. Normally really aggressive from the off front foot. Crowd can be such a helping hand there. You know, it's an intimidating place for visiting players when they're up. They were too passive in the first half, Luton, and I felt that it played into Fulham's hands. The two centre-halves in particular kind of controlled the tempo with their passing. And then Nathan Jones made a bit of a change at half-time. First half, they didn't really muster a shot. Luton, second half, it looked like Musque was up top with um, Adebayo. And that meant there was um, more pressure on the two centre-halves when Fulham were trying to build. And in turn, Luton went a bit longer. And I saw Nathan Jones kind of instructing that from the, the touchline. And it, it just made it such a more competitive game. The atmosphere was prickly. Sonny Bradley and Mitrovic had a little go at each other, which I loved. And then James Bree, this is the best bit. James Bree put a, he was getting grief from someone down the near side, which Curtis probably didn't get, but I got a lot of when I was there. <laughs> and uh, I kept my eye on this fella. Why is, what? You know, the fullback every now and again was getting the ball and having to play square or having to go back to keep possession. I think he's not done anything wrong here, but this geezer's hammering him. Anyway, he puts in a delicious ball for the equaliser. And James Bree just turns around and just glares at him for about <laughs> 10 seconds. It was it was glorious. I was so pleased it happened. But um, yeah, yeah, Luton were much better second half. And they went off to a rapturous you know, round of applause. Nathan Jones was pumping his fists and all that. So good day for them. Fulham a bit subdued, but I haven't got too many concerns about them. That can happen at Luton when they play against one of the bigger teams in the division. What was it Sean Derry called those supporters last week? Five o'clock Brian Cloughs. Um, I think that's what that guy <laughs> this was. This geezer was a th- 20 past three Brian Clough. He was giving it to him the whole game. <laughs> uh, it's your first club, of course, uh, Curtis Luton. And they're doing pretty well this season, aren't they? they Nathan Jones and Luton Town seem to, to go together very well. Yeah, obviously it's a, a club close to my heart. They are, they are doing very well. And, and since um, Nathan Jones returned after his, obviously his, his stint at Stoke, he's just... He just hit the ground running straight away again. He knows the club. Most of the players he signed um, from when they were in League Two and they obviously got the promotion from League One. So he had buy-in straight away from all of them, obviously, when he came back and obviously made all his apologies to all the fans and everyone at the club and stuff like that. But he's he's a great coach and, and like I say, his energy, I think, is, is what goes through that team. You know, if you ever see him or if you've ever met him, he's a very energetic, very on-the-edge-of-his-seat kind of guy. Um, and I think that's that's what he puts into his team. And, you know, from there, he's always wanted to play football. And what Sam said, he's always wants to play football, but he's not too arrogant to say, right, we can see that they're playing a high line. Let's get Musquay and, and Adebayo right up against their two centre-halves and see how they fancy a, a battle. And obviously in the second half, it ended up working out for them that they it worked and they, they ended up getting a point. But I think he's been fantastic um, being back at the club, but it's just great to see the club in, in the situation you're in at the moment. Forgot to say, Cal Naismith is like Baresi at the moment. Honestly, he was the best player on the pitch by a mile. Um, and in the last minute, he, well, it wasn't last minute, sorry. 
Last 15 minutes, he ran about 70 yards with the ball, just taking players out of the game. He played in James Bree, actually, who um, hit a bit of a cross shot. But he's incredible right now. And I think that's another... They don't overly play, I wouldn't say, uh, Luton in terms of, you know, consistently. I think he looks at every game on its merit, mixes it up. But he's playing centre of the three right now, Cal Naismith. And I think that's to to encourage him to be on the ball and pick passes. He was magnificent. So I know he's, he's not a kid anymore. He's very experienced, but um, new position and he's, he's playing out of his skin. Right, that's the championship. We'll head to League One next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Because you're a listener of the Totally Football League show, you can get a third off an athletic subscription right now. All you need to do is head to theathletic.com forward slash league show. That's theathletic.com forward slash league show. League One headlines, the Freddy Ladapo brace helped Rotherham move two points clear at the top after a 3-1 win against Burton. They're 20 games unbeaten now. Wigan and Wickham both dropped points at home. Charlton win again, Johnny Jackson still isn't the manager. And the best team in the league, Bolton, lost to Accrington. And Panto season and Biggins continue to go hand in hand as Harrison scored for Gillingham. We're beginning our League One journey at the Stadium of Light. And speaking of journeys, we're joined now by Daniel Storey, who went on a mission this weekend. Um, Daniel, for anybody who missed your explainer on the big show the other week, tell us what you did and why you did it, please. So I went down from the dark East Midlands to sunny Devon uh, to to go on the, the official supporters coach trip from Plymouth to Sunderland and back, which is the longest journey or the longest away trip in English football this season, as long as they don't draw Newcastle away in the FA Cup. How was it? I mean, you must be exhausted. We're talking to you on Monday lunchtime. You've probably slept for about 15 (laughs) minutes in the last 48 hours. Yeah, the the weird thing is, uh, without providing too many spoilers for the piece, I I kind of went down with this kind of sort of macho thing of like, well, I've done extra. I've come all the way down from the Midlands as well. And the people sat next to me on the bus are these three lads who live in Cornwall. And because of public transport, they had to get the 10 o'clock train from Cornwall, 10pm train from Cornwall to Plymouth, and then sit outside Home Park for four and a half hours till the coaches left. So, I mean, it's nonsense. It is absolutely nonsense. <laughs> and I, I didn't want the piece to be kind of too patronising of, of kind of like, you know, why are you doing this? Because it's brilliant. But, you know, their shortest away trip this season is 355 miles round trip. And it does make them kind of unique as a football league club, I think. How how were they feeling 13 minutes in when they were 2-0 down? Yeah, I mean, pretty broken. <laughs> um, but I think it's probably fair to say that, and this doesn't just apply to Plymouth fans, but I think it's probably fair to say that football fans in general that go away from home regularly have got past the point where they let the result of the match define the enjoyment of the day. Um, for those fans, it was about, you know, it was about the 21-hour round trip. It was about this kind of rite of passage of doing Sunderland away, which... They couldn't do uh, last season because it was behind closed doors and some of them hadn't done in, in 2019. So it was ticking the ground off. It was a rite of passage. And I just wanted to tell the story of, of some of the fans who were there. There were some, I mean, some remarkable stories of, of you know, guys flying in from the Outer Hebrides for the game and that sort of thing. So it's, I know that happens all over, but it feels like we should give it some love from time to time. 
They get about the Argyle fans, don't they, Dan? I'm married to one. And um, <laughs> when I saw your tweet that there were two coaches going up, I wasn't even surprised. There were over 700 at MK Dons last Wednesday evening as well. They're all taking their shoes off for Shuey. Were they doing that again in the freezing cold northeast? No, no shirts off. There was quite a few shoes. Christmas outfits. Sorry, shoes. They take the, they were taking shoes. their shoes off, but then they got a good result. Shoes off for Shuey for Stephen Schumacher. Apparently, it's a new thing. I like it. It sounds like a sort of Christmas advert campaign. <laughs> um, no, they were. I suppose the inevitabilities of a nine-hour coach journey is that they were a little bit subdued when they got there. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's as I say, it's it's nonsensical how far. I think twelve thousand eight hundred miles or something they have to travel this season, um, which means their average trip is over five hundred round trip. And it's you know someone who lives and supports a club in the East Midlands, uh, it makes you very grateful for that. Daniel, I did um, Swindon to Scunthorpe and back with a supporters coach the year I retired. You blame me out of the water there, but um, I was. Pleasantly surprised by the sophistication uh, of the uh, activities on the way up. They had a raffle. They had, I think, a pound in for the uh, correct scoreline, which they totaled up over the course of the season. Was there anything like that alongside the the drinking and the service stops? Do you know what? The, the, The way back had this kind of horrible hangover energy, this kind of thick, with the with the air conditioning had to be on the coach to kind of move all the air around it just felt like like the, the white noise of a plane trip and it was it was sleepy on the way back but on the way the thing that amazed me is just how and it shouldn't amaze me about football fans but it's just how many ways you can find to have conversations about team selection yeah. and suitability of managers and other clubs in the league and other strikers you're fearful of and opposition and just sort of six seven hours of that without it seemingly getting old is <laughs> Is, is probably the most remarkable thing. Curtis, when you when you um, do long away trips as a player, do you feel a bit a bit more of a sense that you've got to give those who've made that massive journey in, in usually less than luxurious conditions, you've got to give them a bit more, give them something in terms of appreciation of, of what they've been through to get there to support you? Yeah, I think um, when you support Derby at the moment anyway, <laughs> even if it's only going to Forest. <laughs> I think you deserve big credit for travelling and watching us in the situation that the club's in. But I think, you know, if any fan were, to, if it was just one fan that travelled all the way from Plymouth to Sunderland, he deserves credit because that's a journey I I personally, I don't think I could do for the love of a club. Um, but yeah, I, I've had a situation before when I was at Luton Town and we played Hartlepool away and the fans got up there and the game was called off at two o'clock. Not, not, not on the way up. Not, not halfway up their journey. The game was literally called off at two o'clock. They got off the bus. They got a puck of pie because the guy outside the the stadium had um, cooked all his pies anyway. So they were get, I think they're getting pies for a pound. Got back on the bus and went back down to Luton. So um, devastated for them, but it is. It's an incredible mindset to have um, to to be able to be that strong and follow your team. But they all deserve the credit, uh, all the credit in the world because yeah, like I say, I don't think I could do it. Uh, Daniel, unfortunately, you've missed the forest loving. So before we let you go, tell us when we can read the piece, please. <laughs> uh, it's going to be out on uh, Tuesday online and then there'll be a kind of abridged version in the paper on the same day in, in the I newspaper. I also just wanted to give a quick shout out to um, there's no kind of protagonist in the story because obviously it's a communal experience. But a shout out to the one guy who went in a minibus all the way to the game, drank too many beers, and was refused entry by the stewards. <laughs> so had to wait for his mates outside for two hours until everyone came out of the ground, and then nine-hour coach journey back to Plymouth. By which point he was sober and full of regret, no doubt. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today, Daniel. We'll catch up soon. 
Cheers, mate. Thank you very much. Bye. Elsewhere in League One, the W Derby saw the point share between Wickham and Wimbledon. Sam, how about that lob from Adebayo Akinfenwa? Don't think we knew that he had that in his locker. Right up towards Akinfenwa and Tapazoli. Take on the chest of Akinfenwa on the volley. And scores! Adebayo Akinfenwa with a trademark goal against his former club. That was amazing. It it surprises me how many people still try and get into a physical battle with him. I've seen it two or three times this season. It must have been a young lad. I did note that uh, Nesta Guinness-Walker played centre-half. They were struggling in that, in that department, FC Wimbledon at the weekend. So maybe it was prime moment for uh, Gareth Ainsworth to get Akinfemer onto the mix. And I think him and um, Horgan made a, a big difference from the bench here. But brilliantly taken goal and um, a really youthful, intensive um, Wimbledon team and display we saw but they've got the experience Wickham I think it was youngest average squad for the oldest uh, in the division um, and it kind of played out with that like that uh, Wimbledon really vibrant counter-attacking and Wickham real never say die attitude Joe Jacobson your mate Matt getting a, a timely equaliser in the last minute Did you play against Akin Fenwell last season Curtis? Yeah, um, I've played against him before. Early in my career, I played against him. He, um, when he was at, I believe he was at Torquay at the time. Um, yeah, I played against him down there. Obviously, he was a, he was big, but a lot smaller. And then um, you obviously, as you go through your career, you, you you come round and you play against him again. And and like Sam said, you you don't try and wrestle the strongest man in the world. Like, what's the point? <laughs> you know, it's like I I I pride myself in being reasonably strong, but when you come up against somebody that's Stronger than you, you have to admit it. That's the good sign of of a, of a good centre half that you admit that he's stronger than you and try something different. Because, you know, ultimately, if if you want to get into wrestling, you just roll you and score. But obviously, I don't think anyone's expecting the I'll say it like loosely, but um, acrobatics that he he pulled off <laughs> to to lob the keeper. So um, yeah, I think when you when you come up against someone like him, he's a he's a one in a hundred um, in the league. And yeah, you just have to find a different way to, to do it. But if it was a young lad, he probably wanted to prove something and he ended up um, going against him. Michelle Wimbledon would be gutted here, won't they? G- given the nature of the end of the game, that they really should have held on for the win. Yeah, horrible. I think it was the sixth minute of stoppage time that they won the penalty and maybe a challenge that didn't need to be made as well. I haven't watched back the highlights. But also for Wickham now, themselves... Wigan and Sunderland all locked on thirty-two uh, on forty-two points. I beg your pardon, forty-two points behind Rotherham in forty-four. And Wigan have a game in hand over Sunderland, and Sunderland have a game in hand over Wickham. So they've played the most, and now they're on forty-two points. So when they went into that, looking at the table, they would have fancied it, but they got something from it at least. I think will be Wickham's point of view. Right next, we're going to review a League Two game. You'll never guess which one it is. This is the Totally Football League Show with Matt Davis-Adams. League Two headlines. The top three remain the same despite Port Vale losing. There are five points separating third to tenth. Mansfield beat Salford in the big club game. And John Yems probably feeling a little bit happier after Quezzy helped Crawley beat Orient. It's Crawley Town Football Club. Common denominator being the club. Oldham 5, Forest Green Rovers 5 then. My goodness me. FGR were 4-1 up, but where there's Hallam, 
there's hope. And Oldham got it back to five. Or what was your your favourite goal of the game here, Michelle? Oh my god! Uh, well, that was the own goal. Sorry, I shouldn't pick that one up. But yeah, ten <laughs> ten to choose from. It's hard to pick out. Got to be 10. the first one, hasn't it? it I mean, twenty five yarder DKD. I think I think when you do a five all, um, I didn't see soccer Saturday on Saturday, but um, my friend Abby was doing it, and I spoke to her after, and she was like, at half time when it's well, it was just after half time, and it was four one to Forest Green. She's like, yeah, they won't come back to me now because when you do an ISDN on soccer yeah. Saturday, when the game's done, they won't come back to you because there's obviously more important things going on, and there was the empty the park protest. As well, so you're thinking at that point, yeah, no chance. But I, th- I think I'd seen it flash up on my phone because I was out. I'd seen it flash up that it was like three one or whatever. I was like, oh, and then I saw the full time scores later on my phone. I'm like five all, and then the sort of games as a reporter, I've done one in in eight years, which was Villa five, Forest five, and yeah, it could be once in a lifetime games to re- report on. But I think from what I saw and the match reports I read after. Oldham just were like, yeah, whatever, and just sort of went for it when it was 4-1, and, and hence what happened. But, yeah, the the, the local paper did, did a really good write-up. Um, just never would have thought it as well from Forest Green Rovers. You know, where they are on the table, being 4-1 up, that's done and dusted, isn't it? It's just, it's a once-in-a-season result. It's a once-in-a-season game. We were talking, Sam, the other week about how FGR got one hand on the on the trophy already in terms of promotion, if not winning the league. This might refocus minds, I guess, for them. Yeah, I mean, the last time they, they slipped up, by memory, me and Michelle were at the game at home to Swindon and they were comprehensively beaten on that day. And um, we spoke in the aftermath, uh, me, Michelle and Matt Mills, it was about... Was it just a blip? How would they get back going? And it's been seamless. They've been absolutely relentless from from that day on. So any concerns that I had were just wiped out immediately. Um, he's He's been quite attacking the last few weeks. I don't know if this was a reason for the open nature of this game, but Ebu Adams in the midfield and Aitchison, who's playing as a number 10, means that they've kind of lost, lost one of their ball-winning kind of number sixes, if that makes sense, and gone for quite an attacking lineup consistently, which has got great results. But, you know, that's maybe a, a kind of reason as to why they were so open. But no, I've got no concerns about, about them. I noticed that Jordan Moore-Taylor, who's been magnificent, former teammate of mine, went off in the first half as well. So maybe a few issues against. That said, just flip back to last season, Oldham were arguably one of the be- best two or three attacking sides in the division. And with a new manager getting an opportunity there to get some new messages into the players and try and reignite what they had last year, I'm, I'm sure that's what he'd have looked at. It seems to have paid off. And I think they've got the capability to to not score five every week, but they were, I think, lower scorers in the division before the weekend or certainly uh, kind of on par with Carlisle. So not surprised that Oldham are slowly starting to turn it around. Just a shame there was no fans there to see it. Yeah, and, and if you're Selim Beneshaw, the, the caretaker boss of Oldham, Curtis, I'm guessing you kind of ignore the five that you concede and go, look, you've just scored five goals against the best team in the division. Three points from safety. You've got to therefore believe that you can get enough points to get out of the situation you're in. Yeah, and I think it's it shows that you've been able to inject something into that team to allow them to have the character to come back because it's easy, you know, when you, when you go up against a really good side and you end up, Two one down, three one down, four one down. The mindset usually on the pitch is all right. No more goals. Let's just see this game out. Let's not be embarrassed. 
obviously they then get a fifth and then all of a sudden it was, well, let's just throw everything at the wall. And, and I think that comes from being, I guess, a, a temporary manager as well uh, at the moment. You know, you take over, it's like, well, I've got nothing to lose. So let's just go for it. Then you get one back, you get two back, get three. And then all of a sudden it looks like a really good tactical performance. But, you know, those kind of things, I think the fact, the biggest thing for me was the character that they were able to show. Um, being in a the position they're in and a the position that Forest Green are in. And I know Rob Edwards um, well that, you know, he would be raging at what they've allowed to happen to them. But, you know, for, for Oldham, it's fantastic. And it it's the kind of fight that they'll need for the rest of the season to make sure they, they stay up. Right. Soon we're going to be talking coach trips and how to survive them. First, though, let's get some odds with Paddy Power, courtesy of Producer Abby. Thanks, Matt. Let's go through some outrights then from each of the leagues and we'll start off in the championship and I'm looking at to make the playoffs. Now you might not be surprised to hear that you can't bet on Fulham to make the playoffs but you can on Bournemouth but we'll start with the West Brom though because they are more likely according to Paddy Power than Bournemouth to make the playoffs. West Brom 10 to 11, Bournemouth 11 to 10, Blackburn 6 to 5, Stoke 11 to 8 and if we scroll down we'll find Nottingham Forest at 4 to 1 so uh, you never know the uh, they may never lose again. Uh, they also probably will. But anyway, four to one in there for uh, <laughs> Nottingham Forest to make the playoffs. If we go to the other end of the division, uh, into the relegation, Derby still can't bet on them to be relegated. So it's Barnsley. They are two to nine, which is looking damning uh, from Paddy Power. And Peterborough are the uh, are also odds on to be uh, relegated. They are eight to eleven. Hull next most likely at 5-1, to one, but it's quite a gap, quite a leap between those ones. Uh, Reading, incidentally, not in this list, so uh, worth keeping an eye on them as that saga continues. Into League One then. Let's look at making the playoffs then. Sunderland are the favourites to make the playoffs. They are 5-6, to six, and I say they're the favourites because if you go all the way down the list here, Rotherham are in here at 17-10. to 10. That just tells you how confident Paddy are that uh, Rotherham will be in those automatic top two spots come the end of the season. Uh, we'll go back, though, to the uh, favourites for the playoffs. Wigan are 10-11. to 11. Wickham are 11-10. Plymouth slipping down the rankings. They are the sixth favourites to make the playoffs now. They are 6-4. to four. One more league to go into, and that's League Two. And let me tell you, in League Two, let's look at that relegation, because we've been just talking about Oldham. They've scored five, but they are still odds-on to be relegated. They're five to six. Favourites are Scunthorpe at four to nine. Uh, Carlisle sit just outside, three points clear at nine to two. Uh, And as do Stevenage, they are five to one, which are the same odds as Colchester United, five to one. And uh, John Yems won't be happy to see his Crawley Town are the sixth most likely to be relegated. Uh, They are sitting at nine to one there. That completes your Paddy Power Roundup for today. Thanks, Abby. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the Paddy Power app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Right, we spoke to Daniel about his epic voyage over the weekend. Uh, Michelle, Sam, Curtis, you're all experienced football coach trippers, I'm sure. What's the best way to pass the time? What's the worst thing that's happened? That kind of thing. That's what I'm looking for today. Uh, Michelle, what have you got for me? Avoid the toilet. Sorry, it's really obvious, (laughs) isn't it? But when I used to play women's football,
football. We used to, I used to play for Cardiff and we used to go probably just as far as the North Midlands. Like we were in the Southern, Southern Prem and yeah, even on women's coaches, I'm afraid it's just not somewhere you want to go down. Try and hold on to the service station if you can and don't drink too much tea and coffee so you don't have to go in there. Just the basic stuff. Uh, Curtis, who's the best and worst person to be sat by on the Derby bus these days? Um, the best person, uh, I don't know, it depends what you want. If you want a lively coach journey and want to be excited by, you know, playing cards or something and probably come towards the back. If you want to have a sleep, then then go next to someone that's boring and uh, <laughs> and give yourself a good <laughs> kip on the way there. But Where do you sit, Curtis, front or back? No, I sit at the back. We play cards. We've got, um, obviously, we have a few of the older players, shall we say, the senior guard. We play um, we play cards at the back of the bus and allow the young lads to make the... Um, make the coffees and stuff like that it still happens do they still do that yeah they make you yeah they're, they're, for you. It, to be fair it's always them it's the respect that they show rather than us um getting them to do it shall we say um but yeah i'd say sit at the back of the bus if you want a lively journey and then probably if you the put one person you probably wouldn't want to sit next to is uh, graham shinney because he's quite a live wire and if you do want to have a bit of a rest and and calm yourself down for the journey and calm yourself down for the game shinney's not going to give you that that respite <laughs> <laughs> Sam, I've got you pegged as, as one of those types who'd be flicking people's ears if they fell asleep and, and just generally being a bit of a pest. Is that right? No, I was, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the opposite, to be honest. Um, I think I, I evolved you know, during my, my career. Early days, I would have been cards. Curtis will remember that, the early noughties. And I, I swear down that some of the players at Swindon used to think that the manager left them out if they beat him at cards. I swear. That's <laughs> <laughs> genius. They used to have, get such the hump. Uh, and I'm sure Curtis remembers Andy King. Unbelievable character. Yeah. Uh, okay. And he, he probably used to take a few quid off the lads. And then, <laughs> yeah, brilliant. And then, so probably that was me early. Then I was, I'd always have the big stack of the magazines, like FHM, 442, probably even like Heat Mag and all that. I was just... <laughs> everything and then towards the end I'd probably be a bit more sophisticated and and sit down the front probably with a coach and staff and with Paul Tisdale probably have a bit of cake a few teas ask Steve Perryman about his career sit with the intellectuals you know David Wheeler and the like so um I've probably changed over the years but I got I got so many stories for you I did it makes me smile when I think of the shouts like the the same shout that you the same shouts you used to hear every week so when the um the driver's in traffic what have you typed into the sat-nav drive? Traffic every, every time. <laughs> Someone back, when he's, when he's reversing into a ground, somebody bangs the back windows if he's yeah. had a smash. Standard, every trip. <laughs> just yeah, things like that. The just, ground, they, they do yeah. make me smile. The one as you get to the ground, oh gosh, how far is this? And you're waiting for a young lad to go, oh, it's there, it's there. Just that, that one always <laughs> yeah. comes up as well. Yeah, so. yeah. Come, on, come on drive. There's a dog doing a piss against the back wheel here. That comes up. <laughs> Same shouts every week, yeah, but yeah. glorious. Oh, the other one, yeah, Alan Reeves. Uh, I think I've said this one before, about midnight on the way back from somewhere in the north, every week without fail, midnight, when the, the food's dried up, nobody's got any water left, you're just desperate to get home. Does anyone want any of this dairy milk? Like that. Everyone just turns around like that. He hasn't got hasn't got a morsel. Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fantastic, uh, Curtis! Thanks so much for joining us today. Hopefully, that wasn't too painful for you. No, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, you, you weren't too bad to be honest today. You, you're the only one I was uh, warned about, so you've been quite diplomatic. So um, I'm quite happy with that. <laughs> I'll take that, uh, Michelle. Many thanks as ever. 
Thanks, guys. Sam, I'll speak to you on Thursday. Cheers, Matt. Thank you for listening. Thanks to producer Abby for knocking it all together. We'll speak to you later in the week when we'll look ahead to the big action in the EFL at the weekend. From all of us here, though, for now, it's goodbye. You've been listening to the Totally Football League Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Listen ad-free on the Athletic app and keep up to date with everything Totally by heading to at the Totally Show on Twitter and on Insta. Find out the latest subscription offers by going to theathletic.com forward slash league show. The Totally Football League Show is an Athletic Media Company production. The Athletic.